Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Devoted. Are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus? In this series, we will consider where we spend most of our time, energy, and money, believing that what we're devoted to says something about our identity, where we belong, and how we view our purpose in life. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Oh, boy, we're not awake yet. How are we doing this morning, church? Amen. Well, my name is Pastor Dan. Uh, Pastor Clark, our lead pastor, is actually out of the country at the moment. Him and six other uh, missions team members are in uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, serving with 6-8 Ministries all week. So they said hello. He texted me this morning. He said, God is already doing amazing things. And so they appreciate your prayers. But you guys are stuck with me this morning, so I apologize ahead of time. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to jump right in this morning. No one laughed, and that made me uncomfortable. It kind of seemed like you were serious, but it's okay. I'll let it go. But I want to jump right in this morning. I, I want to get a little, little uh, real with you. Being disciplined in life is really hard. <laughs> amen? Can I get an amen? Being disciplined in life is really hard. Living a disciplined life is no joke, especially when it comes to a disciplined diet plan. See, my wife Lisa and I, we've been on a diet for just under a year, and it's changed our lives for the better in so many ways, but man, has it been a hard journey. We're on this diet called the Bulletproof Diet. Um, A lot of people have asked us about that. We've been really successful. We've lost a lot of weight. We feel great. Um, And basically, this diet consists of this. There's no sugar, uh, no dairy, no grains, and absolutely no joy ever again in eating. (laughs) But while we felt so much better and we've been pretty successful, we both lost a ton of weight and, and we're just really happy with, with just our, our, the state of our health in this season, man, has it been more of a battle and a struggle than I would have ever have expected. You know, one of the things I instantly realized, uh, it was right before the beginning of last summer that we, we started this diet, one of the things I instantly realized when we started this diet was that the things that are so bad for you The things that are so bad to eat are yet so readily available, so significantly cheaper, and oh, so delicious. The things, right? I mean, the things that are so bad for your health, the things that are restricted on pretty much every diet plan in the world are so readily available, they're easy to get, they're stinking cheap, and they're just so delicious. You know, for instance, let me me prove my point here. For instance, drive-throughs. See, drive-throughs are a beautiful thing, especially if you're a parent of young children. See, the parents of young children, they get me. Because drive-throughs, uh, uh, you know, are a thing that you can go through this thing where you drive up, somebody hands you your food and your beverage, and you don't have to get out of the car. You can leave your kids sleeping in their car seats. And that's why drive-thrus, in my opinion, are a thing of the devil. Because of what I think is happening is you could drive up, kids sleeping, they're just saying, my kids sleep in the car, which is a blessing. You can drive up and for $3, you can get 35 hamburgers. And then you sit in the parking lot and and it's so easy and it's so delicious in the moment. I mean, we've all had these moments. You can look at me judgingly, but I've seen you there. I've seen some of you there, actually. But you sit in the parking lot and and you have this this moment of, of Hamburger bliss. You know, my, my, my weakness is the McDou- McDouble for McDonald's. 
And so I sit there and you have this moment of hamburger bliss, but the moment that the hamburger bliss is over, the deep drive through regret kicks in. Who here has ever experienced drive through regret at pretty much every single time? As hard as it's been, you know, Lisa and I have stuck together and we've been really good. We, we've really began to develop this discipline of, of eating healthier and eating clean and, and really challenging ourselves to, to be careful and steward the, the health and the bodies that God has given us. But we've recently encountered a major problem in this journey. See, we appreciate your prayers. We actually just bought a house uh, about two and a half months ago in West Hartford. Uh, many of you are praying for us for that, and we so appreciate that. But the problem is, is, is West Hartford is a hard place to be when you want to be on a diet. Let me tell you why. You know, the other day, we, we were walking around. We love downtown West Hartford. That's one of the reasons we moved to West Hartford. It reminded us of where we met. Uh, there's this place in, called, in Tennessee called Franklin, Tennessee, where we met, and it just reminded us of that. And there's food everywhere and all these varieties and people and it's great. And so we recently, we were downtown West Hartford and we were just walking through the Blueback Square area and we, you know, we went early in the day. We just started walking around. You know, we're trying to be healthy and get out and get moving. We went and had dinner. We, we went to a place called Cooking the Bear and they, we just had, we're on like a keto type diet. So we just had a ton of meat and it was delicious and we have meat and veggies and it was on our diet and we're proud of ourselves. We're like, we're going out. We're being responsible. And so we're walking back to the car and, and it started with a smell. Now, it's not going where you think it's going, so just get your minds out of the gutter, okay? It started with a smell, that smell, that tempting smell, the sweet, delicious, tempting smell. And so we're walking down, and we turn the corner right, right on Main Street, or Farmington Avenue in West Hartford. We turn, and then this was right at, like, right at dusk, and we see this glowing light off in the distance, and we immediately knew what it was. Kurt, you can put that slide up now. thing of the devil, this place. <laughs> so we're walking, and so we have this moment where, see, Lisa and I, we do this thing where neither of us want to be the first person that desires to mess up. If you've ever been on a diet with your spouse, it's this weird game that you play where you try to like sneakily get them to decide to cheat because if they decide to cheat on the diet, then you're just supporting them, so it's on them, it's their fault, it's not on you. So that's what we try to do. I'm like, Lisa, do you want a donut? Like, I mean, I don't, but if you want a donut, and so, like, and she's like, well, Dan, do you want a donut? And so it's a thing. It's like, are you going to cheat? Are you going to cheat? No, I think you should cheat because then it's not really cheating. And so we, do, we, we did this mistake. So we said, let's just go in and just let's see what they have. We won't eat anything. Let's just smell the donuts. It's like, let me just have like a, just like a little lick of a donut. That's it. Nothing more. And so we went in and this, this beautiful creation I, I saw, this is my jam, folks. Oh, it's stuck. That's kind of gross. Saw this donut. It's called the Cookie Monster. You can go, ooh, it's okay. And I saw this donut, and it called to me. I felt the Holy Spirit calling to me through this donut. And so what I'll say is that, let's just put it this way. Six donuts later, we arrived at the car filled with regret and shaking from sugar. And I truly felt like Paul in that moment, and we can put the scripture up, Romans 7.15, it says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want, I'm going to change it from my perspective, for, for I, I want to eat what is right, but I don't eat it. Instead, I eat what I hate. I, I want to, to eat what is right, but I can't. I want to eat what is good, but I don't. I want to eat, or I don't want to eat what is wrong, but I eat it 
anyway. See, folks, it takes discipline to be healthy. Excuse me, it takes planning. It takes meal preparation. It takes drive. It takes desire. It takes self-control. But if you really think about it this morning, all of the important things in life, all of the foundational important things in life, both in our, our regular life and in our spiritual life, all take discipline to achieve them to their fullness, to achieve success in these areas. So you don't just stumble into success in business or in your family or, or in your relationship with God. You don't just stumble into that, but they take, caution, or, uh, they take conscious action steps and decisions day by day to thrive. You know, it takes discipline to be fiscally responsible, to have your financial house in order. It takes discipline to be a good husband. It takes discipline to be a good wife, a good father, a good mother. It takes discipline to be a good student. You know, maybe you're in college. It takes discipline to get good grades. It takes discipline to be a successful business owner. It takes discipline to be a, a, a successful athlete. It takes discipline to be in great physical shape. It takes, honestly, discipline to be in great emotional shape. It takes discipline to be in an intimate relationship with others. And lastly, this morning, it takes discipline to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And we're gonna unpack that, but I wanna say that one more time. It takes conscious action steps. It takes discipline to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus. To be truly devoted to Jesus begins by surrendering your heart to him. Like many people did last week at Easter. I mean, it was so cool last week at Easter in both services. We had, you know, the most people, we had over 700 people come and, and worship with us. And, and the, the, the beauty of that wasn't that we had 700 people, but it was the, the tons of people that made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ in those services. And many people surrendered their hearts to him in those services. But that was a beginning of a relationship with him. See, there's this false understanding sometimes of the gospel of salvation. The theological term is soteriology, and it's, it's that, this is that, that salvation is the end game. Wink, wink. Anybody? End game? Come on, I'm trying to be relevant, folks. Okay? I know who went and saw it last night because you're like sleeping halfway through this message. But it, a lot of people think that the gospel of salvation, like that's the end, that's it. That you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ to get out of hell, to go to heaven, awesome, I made that decision, I'm gonna live my life, see you later, Jesus. And then, and then you die and then you go to heaven and awesome. Now that's the truth. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that when you come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, your, your eternity shifts and you will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. It's a miraculous, beautiful thing, I don't wanna downplay it, but a true understanding of the fullness of the gospel is that this moment of salvation, listen church this morning, this moment of salvation is the beginning of a beautiful journey of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. This moment of salvation is a beautiful, or is the beginning of a beautiful journey of intimacy with Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it's so easy in, in our Christian walk, and especially around the Easter season and, and retreat seasons and all these different things, to have these mountaintop moments. To have these moments where you feel like you're on fire for the Lord. I mean, maybe you went to like the Hillsong Conference, or maybe, you know, something's happening in your life. Or again, you went to a great service, and you just feel like you're so connected with, with God, where your passion for the Lord is so real. But then, as so many of us know, as time goes on, your relationship with him can become stagnant. It can become indifferent. It can become passionless. 
And you have this moment where you come to know Jesus for the first time and you're on fire. But then over time, without fostering that relationship, it can become stagnant and different and passionless. To truly walk a life devoted to intimacy with Jesus, to be devoted to his will, to truly do that takes discipline. And that's where we'll be diving in this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as this morning, as we look into your word, as we look at what it, what it takes for us, each one of us as believers of Jesus Christ, your son, as we look at what it takes to be disciplined, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say this morning, that you would speak through your word, that you would challenge each one of us to take action steps this morning, that we wouldn't just sit here and go through the motions of church, but Father, through your word spoken this morning through me, God, that you would challenge each one of our hearts to leave this room with a plan to seek after you in a new way, to not be content with where we are, but to seek after the more, the fullness of who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this morning marks week two of the Devoted series. This is a new series we started last week on Easter Sunday. And in this series, we're looking at what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's this whole series. Over the next, I think it's seven weeks, we're looking at what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You know, if you look at the definition of the word devoted, that you, you see it means very loving or loyal. The literal definition of devoted is very loving or loyal. Or loyal. Other synonyms include faithful, true, constant, steadfast, committed, dedicated. You hear this word used so commonly when it comes to, to marriage, that he is a devoted husband or she is a devoted wife. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Last week, Pastor Clark did such an amazing job of walking us through God's full devotion for us that was displayed through the cross of Jesus Christ. That God saw us and he sent his one and only son, Jesus, because he loved you and me so much to die upon the cross, to take the weight of our sin and shame on his shoulders, and to three days later to rise again triumphantly in victory to give us a, a chance of hope and grace in a future. God sent his only son for us. God's devotion for us, as Pastor Clark said last week, God's devotion for us on the cross deserves a response. And last week, as I said before, we saw so many people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus. And we also, you know, through reading the, the connection cards that you guys handed in, we also saw and heard so many stories of people rededicating their lives to Jesus. For so many, last week, represented the beginning or the recommitment of a life devoted to Jesus. But how do we remain constant? How do we remain faithful? All those synonyms, how do we remain true? How do we remain steadfast? How do we remain committed? How do we remain dedicated to our relationship with Jesus? How do we live our lives devoted to him? To live our lives devoted to Jesus, you know, it, it, it's, it's not as simple sometimes as we might think, but it's also way simpler than we might think. To live our lives devoted to Jesus, we need to be spiritually disciplined. So, so what does it mean? What are spiritual disciplines? Because a lot of people hear the word discipline. I heard that word a lot growing up, and a lot growing up. And so some people, that has a negative connotation to it, but spiritual disciplines are practices that we find in Scripture that promote growth 
among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again, because this is really encapsulating everything that we're talking about this morning. Spiritual disciplines are practices that we find in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple practices, simple habits, simple actions that promote spiritual growth. Spiritual disciplines are not attitudes, they're actions that affect attitudes. See, the reality is we don't just fall into an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, now don't get me wrong. We are saved by grace alone. That we, we, the, the, the gift of grace is free. You don't earn the grace of Jesus Christ. It's, it's by accepting the fact, or accepting the forgiveness for your sins that Jesus paid for on the cross. But we don't just fall into this intimate relationship with him. Just like in a dating life or a married life, it doesn't just happen. You know, Lisa and I, we work on our relationship. It doesn't, I mean, in the beginning, everybody knows like the couple that's in the honeymoon phase and they're like the worst because they're so annoying because they think that they're like so in love and you're just like, just you wait. And you don't just fall, you fall in love, that's cool. But then like staying together, staying in an intimate relationship with one another takes work. It doesn't just happen by default. And it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. You don't just fall into an intimate relationship with him. Instead, it's something that's fostered. It's something that's developed, just like any other relationship, through conscious decisions day by day. Our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is something that's developed by conscious decisions made day by day. Duke University did a study in 2006, and what they found was this. It says, over 40% of the actions that we take daily are not a result of spontaneous decision-making, but are a result of habits or disciplines. Let me say that again. 40% of the actions that we take daily are not a result of just spontaneous decision-making, but are results of habits or our disciplines. That's why if you want to change and grow your relationship with Jesus, if you're sitting here and you say, you know what, I want to grow my relationship with Jesus, which I would assume is why most of you are sitting in these chairs this morning if you want to look more like him and grow closer to him, we have to change our habits, our disciplines in life. Because in the end, our life is the sum total of all the small decisions that we make. You know, in the end, I think that all of us in this room are here for the same goal. We all have the same goal in mind, or at least the majority of us have the same goal in mind. You know, we all want to be close to Jesus. And if I asked most of you this morning, do you want to be close to Jesus? You say, absolutely. That's, again, that's why you're here this morning for most of you. We, we want to look more like him every day. All of us have the goal. We want to feel close to him. We want to feel his presence. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to feel God's presence? But if we all have the similar goal, if we all have similar goals, why do each of us see different results? Why are some of you this morning walking passionately with Jesus Christ and just so surrendered and so, you know, intimate with him while others of you are, have just grown stagnant and don't really care and maybe you've wandered away when we have the same goals. You know, there's this great um, podcast by uh, Craig Rochelle. He's one of my leadership gurus. He's a pastor of Life Church, And so uh, I'm going to give a disclaimer because I want to give credit where credit's due. Some of this, you know, when it comes to the habit stuff was from some of his leadership podcasts, but I'm going to steal it because it's okay. He said it was okay. Um, 
but, but he talks about this, this book called Atomic Habits. This is an awesome book. I got it. It's a phenomenal book uh, by, by James Clear. And James Clear in the book Atomic Habits writes this. Goals don't determine success. Systems determine success. Catch that this morning. Goals don't determine success. Systems determine success. Because again, if we all have the same goal of growing close to Jesus and being with Jesus and having our lives look more like God wants us to, if we all have the same goal, then why do we all see different results? It's because we have different systems. He writes in his book, uh, in his book Atomic Habits, it says this, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. You don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. This morning I want to talk about systems from a spiritual perspective. The spiritual disciplines, which, you know, we'll use different terms, but systems from a spiritual perspective. And to do that, I want to tell you about a guy in scripture uh, who had a discipline. He had a system. He had one habit that arguably helped shape who he was and who God wanted him to become. His name was Daniel. See, many of us have grown, you know, for those of you that have grown up in Sunday school, you've heard about this Old Testament character named Daniel. You know, and most people know Daniel from the epic story of Daniel and the lion's den. We hear this epic story where, you know, Daniel's in the lion's den and God, you know, shut the mouths of the lions and he's bold and he's standing there and it's such a powerful epic story. But there is so much significance in the man that Daniel was leading up to that moment. There's so much significance in who Daniel was and the character that he had and the spiritual discipline that he had leading up to that moment that a lot of times we glaze over to get to the den. So I want to spend a little time looking there this morning. So a little background on Daniel. In the story of Daniel, there were 120 top leaders in the nation. King Nebuchadnezzar was, was the king of the time, and there were 120 top rulers of the nation. And of those top 120, or sorry, top leaders, and of those top 120 leaders, Daniel was considered to be the, the most exceptional of them all. Daniel had amazing favor in the eyes of the king. Scripture says in Daniel 6, 3, it says this, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So why did Daniel stand out? What was it that made him who he was that caught the eye of the king? What was it about Daniel that made him so exceptional that he stood above every other leader of this nation? So let's dig a little deeper here. So Daniel became popular with the king, as, as we see in Daniel 6.3. He was going to get promoted. The king was going to hand over so much to him. And because of that, a lot of people didn't like him. A lot of people were, were in, in conflict with him because of that. And so this group of people, they, they tried to sabotage Daniel. And they tried to find his weakness. They wanted to find just one flaw, just one defect, anything that would disqualify Daniel that they could bring to the king so he wouldn't get the, the honor and the favor of the king. But they had trouble finding one. Scripture says this in Daniel 6.4, At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trust trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
They couldn't find anything that he would have done that would discredit him. So they decided that the only thing that they could do to trip him up was to do something about the seem, what was seemingly the most important part of Daniel's life, his God. They couldn't find anything else, so they decided to, to sabotage what seemed to be the most seemingly important part of Daniel's life, his relationship with God. See, Daniel was so dedicated to God, everybody knew it, and they knew that this was the only chance that they could get him to make a mistake. So what did they do? They tricked the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, into making a decree. Basically, the king released this decree that says, anyone who prays in the next 30 days to anybody except the king, anybody who prays in the next 30 days to anyone except the king will be thrown into a den with lions, will be killed, will be executed. So they knew this was a, a big issue for Daniel because Daniel was so dedicated to his God, they saw it reflected in his character that ba they basically sabotaged him and they got the king to release this decree. Daniel stood out to the king. I would argue that because, I would argue that the reason that Daniel stood out to the king was because of a, a small system that he put into place. One small spiritual discipline that over time shaped his identity and gave him confidence to be who God created him to be. Daniel 6.10 says this. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. What did Daniel do? He prayed just as he had done before. One small habit. One simple discipline. Every day Daniel stopped intentionally before God. Even when he knew it would bring him imminent death, he stopped before God. He listened to God. He bared his burdens before God three times a day as he had always done. Daniel prioritized his life around an intimate time with his heavenly father. What did Daniel do? He lived a life with a spiritual discipline, a system, a spiritual habit that shaped his identity, that shaped his confidence, that shaped his faith. So we never can underestimate how God can do something big through one small discipline. And my argument or, or my thought this morning is that because of this discipline, it shaped Daniel into the leader, the, the man of character that he was, and that was the reason the king gave him favor. But church, we need to realize this morning that we can't underestimate the impact what God might do to change the world, you know, through you and, and, and the people around you. The impact that starts with one small discipline, one small act of obedience. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Our God loves to take small acts of faithfulness and use them to do great things. So practically speaking, what, what does it look like to be spiritually disciplined? What does it look like in, in your life, in my life, to practice spiritual discipline, to be spiritually disciplined? How do we as followers of Jesus Christ take steps to live a spiritually disciplined life? Again, as a reminder, spiritual disciplines are practices that we find in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers. 
And so there are three spiritual disciplines that I want to specifically go over with you this morning that, in my opinion, seem to be close to the heartbeat of God and are foundational in living a life surrendered, or living a life with your heart surrendered to Jesus more each day. And honestly, church, these are the three disciplines, and there's a lot of spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of practices that are spoken about in Scripture that will bring you closer to the Lord. But these are also three spiritual disciplines that in my personal life have have helped me grow in my intimacy with Jesus in a way that I've never seen before. And I know that could have the potential to change your life. The first is this, the discipline of reading God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says this, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. There's, there's a joke that my father-in-law says you know, quite often. He says, hey, if you want to hear God's word, read the Bible. If you want to hear God's word audibly, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> but how can we know how to live a life surrendered to Jesus without spending time in God's word? You know, there's so many times when I meet with people and they're like, Dan, I just feel stagnant in my faith. I just feel like I'm, I, I'm just not connected with the Lord and I don't know what to do in the situations of my life. And I just say, hey, you know, what does your time with the Lord look like? How much do you read your Bible? And they're like, oh, I, I sometimes open my Version app at church. And I'm like, how do you expect to know how to walk through life, surrender to Jesus when we never look into his word? You know, God's word, it says in the scripture, points us to Jesus. It's inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true. It reveals the areas of our lives that aren't godly. It corrects us. It teaches us. It prepares us. It equips us. Being disciplined and being in God's word daily, I promise you, will radically change your life and will radically change how you think. I love Psalm 119.11. It says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, being, a not, being immersed in God's word helps align our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, our passion with his thoughts, his desires, and his passions. How would it change your day if first thing in the morning, instead of opening up your social media, you know, and checking, you know, or checking the news or checking the weather, instead of turning on the TV to, to Fox or CNN or whatever your flavor is, you know, how would it change your day instead of doing whatever you do if you just grabbed your coffee and you opened up the version app on, on your phone or you opened up your Bible and you did your Bible reading plan? Develop the discipline of reading God's word. Next is this, develop the discipline of prayer. See, we saw earlier that the simple discipline of making a prayer priority three times a day for Daniel made him into a man that was so respected by the king that stood out so much that the king was going to hand over everything to him. And yes, we also saw these these people that were out to get him, but don't miss the, the root of that story, which is Daniel was a man that was respected because of the character that he built through the simple discipline of prayer. Philippians 4, 6-7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then next, in Matthew 6, it says this, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what your needs are before you ask him. Prayer is the way that we communicate with God, church. We talk about this relationship with Jesus all the time, but how many of us never spend time communicating with him? You know, what if we treated our relationship with our spouse or our significant other in the same way that we did our communication with Jesus? A lot of us would probably be in a lot of trouble. Like maybe I'll talk to my wife like once a week when I'm worried about something or I need something. That would not go well for me or you. See, we bring our troubles and our worries through prayer. We bring our gratitude through prayer. You know, one of the things, the disciplines that I put into my life is every morning when I wake up, as I do, you know, my, my quiet time, I specifically spend time to, to intentionally go over things that I'm grateful for. I found that I'm kind of naturally a cynical person, and it's amazing how going through the things that I am grateful for, the amazing ways that God has provided in my life, even in the hard times, it's sometimes easy to, to forget of all the amazing things that God has done for me. That simple discipline has, has literally changed my, my view on life in the world. You know, we pray and we ask for wisdom, we seek guidance. We're real, we're open, and we're honest. Prayer is one of the ways that we're intimate with Jesus. It's how we learn to hear his voice. See, we have to be careful, though, because prayer is supposed to be a two-sided conversation. But many times we treat it as one. See, if you're like me, I, I'm a talker, I, I obviously, but like I verbally process, I talk all the time. I love talking, communicating. My prayer life sometimes looks like that. It's all me talking, it's one-sided, and a lot of times I forget to stop and listen and let God communicate back to me. Let God speak to my heart through his word. Let God speak into my situations. Make sure you have room for listening in your prayer life. Intentionally give God space to speak to you. So developing the discipline of reading God's word, developing the discipline of prayer. And the last one I want to give you this morning is this, developing the discipline of worship. Isaiah 12, 5 says, Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Psalm 95, 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and in awe. See, when we worship God, church, it shifts our perspective from a life all about us to a life all about him. See, we live in such a self-centered, self-serving, self-righteous culture that so many times it's easy to look at our lives and make it all about us. And when we worship and in song or in whatever way that you decide creatively to worship, we are saying, hey, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. Worship is so powerful because it's a declaration of who God is. Worship aligns our heart and reminds us of God's character. One of my favorite worship songs, it's an old school word, but how great is our God. He's a name above all names, worthy of all our praise. Worship aligns our heart and reminds us it's all about him and that he deserves all the glory and all the honor. 
when we sing our praises to him, it shifts our focus. But I would challenge you, this is something that, honestly, I have to be super intentional, even in my own life, and I'm, I'm a worship leader, I love musical worship, it's like, it's really close to my heart, but I would challenge you to worship on your own. Because it's easy to look at this as the worship service. We come to church, we worship with everybody, that's it. But some of the most intimate times I've ever had with the Lord in my entire life were times when I decided to worship him on my own in my car. On the way to work, I mean, my commute's a little bit more now, and people say, oh, man, you know, 30 minutes, you know, is that brutal? I'm like, no, it's awesome, because every morning I'm so intentional reclaiming that time, I put on worship music, and I just spend time with Jesus. And it's been so refreshing to start out my day that when I get here in the morning, I'm ready to go. I'm in such a better mood. I'm, I'm more loving, because I've aligned my heart with who God is in the first part of my day intentionally find time to glorify God by praising his name. Develop the discipline of reading God's word. Develop the discipline of prayer and develop the discipline of worship. So the question is, what is one spiritual discipline? One thing, maybe it's one of those three. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's, you know, something different. Maybe it's spending time in a life group, spending time in community. What's one spiritual discipline that you can put into your life this week? Because church, never underestimate how simple Intentional changes can shift your focus, your identity, and draw you closer to Jesus. It's so cool how once you develop one discipline, maybe for you it's, hey, I wanna, I'm going to start really praying in the morning. First thing I do, I'm going to spend five minutes, just something small, simple, five minutes in prayer of gratitude. It's amazing how one simple discipline can start this ripple effect and this momentum, and you desire to put more and more disciplines into your life. I'm going to invite Will up as we close this morning. I want to close with this last thought. And it's kind of a, a disclaimer of sorts. The goal of, spiritual dis- or the goal of being spiritually disciplined, of putting these spiritual habits and these systems into place, isn't just for the sake of doing something. See, we live in a culture where it's all about doing something. It's about getting things done. I'm a doer. I love doing stuff. I like systems that get things done. But the purpose of spiritual disciplines, church, isn't about doing all these things just to check off boxes. It's about being. It's about being more like Jesus and being with Jesus. It's about being, being closer to Jesus. This is key. If your motivation is being with Jesus, not just following a set of rules, then it changes things. The motivation of intimacy with Jesus is foundational and being spiritually disciplined because it moves something from being about a set of rules and legalism and instead makes it about pursuing a passionate relationship with someone. See, we can do with the wrong motivation. As I mentioned before, just about a year ago, Lisa and I, you know, started this journey of physical health, you know, but there was actually much more that was driving, you know, this diet that we went on. You know, about, again, about just at beginning of last summer, we were driving home, we went to Indiana to, to visit her family, and we were driving home, and I was, you know, we stopped at a rest stop, and I was looking at my phone on Facebook, and Facebook is such a cool tool, but there was also something that happened where Facebook just has this tool where it can show you, like, 10 years ago, on this day, you said this. And I was reading old posts that I was making on Facebook when I was working at, at you know, one of my first church jobs in Tennessee. And these were passionate posts about loving, it's like seeing God move in my quiet time and all these things. And they were passionate. I, I saw a, a Dan Hermance that was so in love with Jesus. There was such passion there. And I have this moment where I was sitting there and it's humbling a kind of hurtful moment where I realized, man, I was 
so much more in love with Jesus then than I was now. By reading these posts, I saw I was so on fire and passionate and honestly didn't care as much. Like I was willing to take risks for the gospel. I would have gone anywhere and done anything in the name of Jesus. And I realized just how cautious I had become and how I lost a lot of that fire. Man, what a sad reality that was that I went from thriving to maintaining. There wasn't a major moral failure in my life. There wasn't a major sin issue. I still loved Jesus. I still followed him like many of us do. But the intimacy that I had with him back then was so much greater than it was now. So what if you right now, what if you did an honest assessment of your relationship with Jesus? If you looked at your intimacy with him, what would you say about the condition of your relationship with Jesus. If I asked you, hey, how is your intimacy with Jesus, what would you answer? Hey, uh, Dan, I'm on fire, I'm ready to go. Or you know what, I, I, eh? I'm just kind of getting by. See, when I asked myself that question, I realized that I needed to make intentional decisions in my life to thrive in my relationship with Jesus. It wasn't just gonna happen, because it wasn't happening. I love Jesus, it was great. My relationship with him was, was good, but I wasn't thriving. And so I made intentional decisions because I wanted to honor God with my health, my finances, my relationships, my time, my heart, my thoughts. So I began to implement some specific spiritual disciplines into my life to seek after being more like Jesus and being with Jesus. I began to journal again. I hadn't journaled for years. I began to worship again by myself and I began to write worship songs. You know, I hadn't written a worship song, you know, for, for years. I began to write worship songs again. I I began to pray more with my kids at home. I I started to pray with Grace every day when I dropped her off at school. I'd say, hey, Grace, we're going to pray. And I I was really intentional, still am, about that. I began to do this thing called the daily office, which is modeled a little bit off of, you know, what what Daniel did. But basically, I, I carve out three times a day, no matter how inconvenient it is, I carve out three times in the morning, afternoon, and evening time that I spend listening, I spend praying, and I spend reading God's Word. I didn't put these disciplines in my life to check boxes, church. But instead, I did these things for the sake of being. Being more like Christ and even more importantly, being with Christ. So where are you at in your faith? What does your relationship with Jesus look like? What is the spiritual discipline, just one simple habit, one simple system that you can put into place in your life to grow closer to Jesus? Maybe it's to rekindle that flame of intimacy. Maybe it's prayer in the morning or a Bible plan. Maybe it's journaling your gratitude. Maybe it's worshiping on your own. Maybe it's just stopping all the noise and all the busyness of life that we so get caught up in and just sitting and being in the presence of God saying, God, speak to me. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So what will it be for you this morning? Revelation 3, 1 through 2 is, is a scripture that is really cool that I want to close with this morning. And it, it's, it's talking to the church in Sardis. And, and it says this, it says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. See, this church did all these things. They had good deeds, but their intimacy with the Lord had gone stagnant. But it was cool because instead of just saying, hey, you know what? You're dead, see you later. The Lord was saying, wake up, church. 
wake up before it's too late. It's not too late. Wake up, strengthen what remains before it dies. And I think that that's the word that the Lord is giving our body this morning and maybe to you saying, hey, wake up. You know, maybe your flame has, has gone a little dim. Maybe, you know, you, you've gone a little stagnant, but it's not too late. Wake up, pursue him, seek him intentionally. There is hope. Become alive in him again. So have you found yourself not as in love with Jesus as you were before? If that's the case, which I gather it might be for many of us here this morning, then don't just be content with that, but pursue Jesus. Pursue him by seeking him through his word, by seeking him through prayer, by seeking him through worship. Make intentional steps. Carve out intentional time in your day, just like Daniel did, to be with Jesus. What is one thing that you can do this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that that you speak to us and that you challenge us. We thank you that you um, always desire to be in a relationship with us. And God, we acknowledge and we repent for the times that we just let our relationships go stagnant with you. God, you are always pursuing us. You are always there. You are always speaking. But God, we admit there's so many times when we're not listening, when we're too busy, when we're not willing. Father, I pray that you would wake our hearts up this morning. That you would just identify one discipline. Maybe it's prayer, reading your word, worship, journaling, whatever it is, Father. You would wake up one discipline in our lives that we could put into place this week to seek being more like you and being with you. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that you pursued us. God, let our lives be devoted to you, to your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.